Welcome to Palmdale United Methodist Church's podcast for Sunday, July 26th, 2020. May God use this as a blessing to you today. And now, Pastor John Gentry. 2008 was a year to remember for me. My mother's father, whom we lovingly called Gramps, passed away in April. I graduated from college that June, and I spent a month in Botswana and Namibia for a month that summer. I was a groomsman at my brother's wedding in September, and the very next day I flew out to California to start graduate school at Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena. All these events changed me, and the last one on that list was no exception. As I embarked on the next chapter of my life, I had no idea what lay ahead of me. There are times or seasons in your life uh, that impact the rest of your story, aren't there? I'm sure that you have some of those. I I bet it only takes you a few seconds for you to think about uh, what those milestones are for you. The journey from my beautiful home state of South Carolina to the bustling life of Southern California, which I like to call my journey from SC to SC, was a leap of faith. No, actually, I want to call it a leap of hope. With a leap of faith, you have a specific target that you're aiming for to land, and and in leaping, you trust that you will make it to your destination. But a leap of hope is a leap into the unknown, and that's exactly what Uh, my next steps were a leap into the unknown. I didn't have any family in Southern California or California at all. I had never stepped foot on the West Coast. No friends to speak of yet except for an acquaintance who was a good friend of my sister-in-law's. She was going to Fuller at the time and offered to take a look at vacant, vacant apartments in Pasadena for me and even send pictures which, by the way, still blows my mind. I'm like, who does that? What a kind person. I had two roommates lined up whom I had met through the seminary's student portal, but had only talked to them through a series of emails. And one of my best friends from college, who was the first to tell me about Fuller and um, had suggested that I join him in attending the school, ended up changing his plans for grad school last minute which left me on my own in a solo venture to the unknown future. But I still had great hopes for the road ahead. I didn't know what my life would be like, but I had reasons to believe that things would work out. My new school had a good reputation. I liked what I learned about the school so far, and I knew that God would be walking alongside me every step of the way. In today's sermon... I want to invite you to explore hope with me. Particularly, I want to explore the idea that hope, like a muscle, not the sea creature, the muscle, can be trusted to do some heavy lifting if we give it a chance. Since hope can mean different things to different people, or different contexts, let me explain the kind of hope I'm trying to get at. I'm sure you're familiar with hope as a positive or optimistic attitude. You know, the the look on the bright side, the hoping for the best, the can-do kind of attitude. Almost every day, you or someone you know saying things like, hey, I hope you have a good day, or I hope everything goes well, or when you get the chance to sit it out or dance, I hope you dance. I hope you dance. And let's be truthful. We all need that friend or those 
those friends in our lives who bring the positive energy. We need people who will look at a broken vase and say, hey, let's turn this into a mosaic. We need people who can turn a power outage into a, a dinner by candlelight. Our world is a better place uh, because of teachers who look at an online classroom in the fall and instead of getting discouraged and down on their luck, decide to make the most of it for the sake of the students. The teachers who take this as an opportunity to up their creativity game and find new ways to get students to engage in the classroom, even if it's just a virtual space. But in today, in today's sermon, I'm, I'm not talking about a, a hope of optimism. I'm sure you're also familiar with, with hope as a, as a daydream, the shoot for the moon, wish upon a star kind of mentality. It's the attitude where your feet leave the ground for a moment. Your head journeys up into the clouds. It elevates what you think is possible. It raises your vision by inspiring you to think about everything that could happen, all the possibilities, the blank chalkboard that is waiting to be filled up with ideas. They say, shoot for the moon, and even if you'll miss, you'll land among the stars, right? Of course, occasionally... It just ends up being a pie-in-the-sky fantasy, a sort of wishful thinking that would be nice, but probably not realistic. Still, it doesn't hurt to play around with that kind of hope, too. I mean, without the dreamers, where would we be? Would we have made it to the moon? Would we have the World Wide Web? Would we have Halloween costumes for pets? or unicorn ice cream, or veggie burger patties that taste like beef? Would we have had those kinds of things if, if people hadn't taken the courage and dared to dream and do something original? But in today's sermon, I'm not talking about that big dreamer kind of hope either. When we talk about hope as a muscle, we're, talk, we're going just a little bit deeper. We're saying that it has the potential to be even more than just an optimistic mindset or a positive attitude or a daydream. Hope, like a muscle, can become part of us that we take wherever we go, that we exercise, that, we, uh, that gets worked out and toned and, and conditioned. Think for a moment. What does muscle do? It plays the critical, look, the, the critical role of allowing us to move our bodies, help maintain our posture, circulating blood throughout our body. Muscle can relax or contract. It can shorten or elongate, you know, depending on our needs and our circumstances. It's a, a function of movement. In a similar fashion, hope is all about movement. It's a response to what we have already experienced. It's the shifting and adjusting of our expectations as we discover what grounds us it's the imagination of things out of view, yet still on the horizon. The movers and shakers of human history know that hope is a muscle. Take, for example, the brave and bold leaders of the American civil rights movements of the 50s and 60s. They set their hopes and dreams on a country liberated from institutionalized racial discrimination, disenfranchisement, and racial segregation. There were no guarantees that their movement would amount to anything. 
And, and it was very clear that the odds were stacked against them. And yet, despite obstacles and setbacks at every turn, they pressed forward and did not back down. In doing so, they managed to keep hope alive by working it out, giving it more definition, keeping it in motion. You might have heard recently that two important figures to the civil rights movement, C.T. Vivian and John Lewis, died about a week and a half ago. It was national news, so I've been reading about it. C.T. Vivian was a Baptist minister who helped organize nonviolent sit-ins, protests, and freedom rides across the segregated South. He was an advisor to Martin Luther King Jr., and King once called him the greatest preacher to ever live. For decades, he worked for racial equality and was a key player in the Student Nonviolent Coordinate Committee and the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. I would imagine that you would need a robust sense of hope to enter into the challenges that visionaries like Vivian and Lewis had to face. I didn't know this until recently, but apparently Congressman John Lewis rendered his perspective of, on the civil rights movement into a series of graphic novels. He teamed up with his much younger colleague, Andrew Aiden, and an illustrator by the name of Nate Powell to tell a story in the form of a graphic novel. They started this project in 2008 when Aiden approached Lewis with the idea. John Lewis himself had been influenced at a younger age by a 1957 comic called Martin Luther King and the Montgomery Story, which was 16 pages and promoted nonviolent resistance and the way of peace and love and told the story of Martin Luther King Jr. and Rosa Parks and others. So Lewis became intrigued by the idea of writing a story of his own, especially as a way of making the story available to another generation. What they ended up with was a trilogy calling the graphic novel series by one word title, March. I heard in an interview with Lewis where he said that he was initially hesitant. He said the idea for telling the, uh, telling the story through the medium of a graphic novel seemed like an unusual idea to some people, and he wasn't sure how it would be received. But hope had taught him that fear of the unknown is not a good enough reason to not try. Hope is a muscle. You've got to put it in motion, especially when you've got a good idea and have a reason to believe that it just might work. In today's scripture reading, the Apostle Paul gives us a picture of what our hope is as followers of the crucified and risen Jesus. Paul writes to the church in Rome that hope does not disappoint us. Why? He goes on, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. If you listen to the time with children this morning, you heard me say that our hope is like smelling something delicious being made in the kitchen and knowing just from the aromas that, uh, from the aromas floating in the room that something good is coming. Those of, those of us who belong to the community of faith are who we are simply by the fact that we've gotten a good whiff of God's love and know it re represents something worth the wait. We've gotten a taste, a small taste of that holy way of heaven and know that there's more where it came from. 
Our hope as Christians in the renewal of the world around us that has already started in the person of Jesus Christ and will come to full fruition one day as God has promised to do so is grounded in the real experience of God's grace and love in our own lives. We don't have the full picture yet, but we have glimpses. And those glimpses form the basis for our hope. Although it can be easier said than done to have hope, I would imagine, and have experienced myself. When I finished seminary back in 2013, I went through a time of deep soul-searching. I walked across the stage to receive my diploma with so many questions still. Some people who enroll in seminary to study to be a minister or professor or the like are occasionally warned by their friends or family to be careful. Don't lose your faith, they will caution future seminarians. Those well-meaning church members have observed that studying can lead to questions, and sometimes questions can lead to doubts, and sometimes doubts can lead to fissures in our faith or maybe even a loss of it altogether. I believe, though, that as we open up ourselves to God and allow God into that uncertain space of our lives, that he will lead us and he will guide us. And yes, we may go through a rough patch, but God is there. And so I, I won't say that I completely lost my footing, but I did feel shaken up a bit. And I did begin to feel overwhelmed and weighed down by the responsibility that I shared in the church's job to represent God's love to the world. I started asking questions like, what if the church that, I res- that I'm responsible for leading loses touch with its community? What if I fail as a pastor and rally in the troops? What if we forget how to love boldly and live compassionately? What if we become hypocrites and bring shame to the message that's entrusted to us? What if we get it all wrong? I was filled with so much anxiety that at one point I considered giving up my pursuit to become a pastor. I, wonder, I wondered if I had misread things. After all, I had started my undergraduate degree uh, as a sports medicine major before I changed my degree the second semester of college, and so maybe I should just go back to studying medicine. I told myself I didn't have to work in a church to make a difference in the world, and I knew that I didn't have to become a pastor to preach the gospel. And those two things that I was telling myself are true. But as I journeyed down that little detour, I began to realize that I was cowering to fear rather than living in hope. I'm sure that um, I could have made a proficient physician's assistant. I'm sure that I could have done a lot of good in that career. But I would have done it for the wrong reasons, out of fear, not out of heartfelt conviction. I began to realize in my soul searching that the choice to live in hope does not uncomplicate things. It just sees us through it. One thing that helped me plant my feet was finding a sort of spiritual home in the United Methodist Church. When I was hired as a youth director in Westlake Village five years ago, it was actually the first time I had stepped foot into a Methodist church, or at least that I can remember. I never had any illusions that the United Methodist Church denomination is picture perfect, but there's something hardwired into our DNA as Methodists that says hope will take us a long way. 
What I have come to love and admire about being a Methodist is that we started out as a renewal movement whose founders and followers believed that change could emerge even out of stagnation. They had hopes that God would bring about a transformation of their Church of England that had fallen asleep in some respects and lost its way in other respects. Instead of throwing it away, throwing in the towel, they adopted a plan of hope in an effort to refresh it and reconnect with that church and what God was doing there. I want to go back to the analogy of hope as a muscle for a moment, if you'll let me. One of the fascinating things about muscle is that it has memory. Well, actually, it's not so much that muscle has memory as that our brains have the ability, the amazing ability to retain the information needed for repeating motor functions. That's why we don't need to relearn a lesson over and over on how to ride a bike or how to type on a keyboard. We can repeat these skills even after some time of not practicing them because our brains are able to remember. In fact, the next time we engage our muscles in a certain movement, we will be better equipped for it because of muscle memory. Hope, as well, has muscle memory. Krista Tippett, the NPR radio show host, has said in her book, Becoming Wise, hope, is, hope, like every virtue, is a choice that becomes a practice that becomes spiritual muscle memory. It's a renewable resource for moving through life as it is, not as, was, as, it is, not as what we wish it would be. As a people of faith, each time we put our hope in the living God as a response to what he has already done and, and who he has proven himself to be, we are adding muscle memory to our hope. We look forward by looking backward, anchoring our future hope in the character of God. In today's scripture reading, Paul draws a diagram of the Christian life, at least an aspect of it. Paul teaches that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. We don't have time to get into the nitty-gritty of everything Paul is saying there, but I just want to state at the outset that I do not think this is just another way of saying, no pain, no gain. And although we've been talking about hope as a muscle, Paul isn't your gym trainer. He's not getting in your face and shouting, pain is just weakness leaving the body. Or, what does it kill you? Only makes you stronger. Paul isn't asking you to downplay or ignore your sufferings when they come along, um, that's an unhealthy response. Instead, he's asking you and me to remember who we are suffering alongside and why it will be worth it all in the end. What he is saying is that part of the deal in becoming a disciple of Jesus is sharing in Jesus' sufferings and the sufferings of others and choosing hope even when adversity does not, even when adversity comes our way. Hope isn't so much about power or strength as it is about response and growth. When our hope is put to the test, that process will better equip us to respond to challenges the next time they come around. But even more than that, as Christians, we affirm that when one suffers, we all suffer. Our calling is to stand in solidarity with those who suffer in hopes that one day God will make good on his promise to make all things new. And if anyone has lost hope, 
Our role is to stand with those people and hold them up when they can't hold up themselves. We know that the hard work of everyone involved in the civil rights movement did not completely eradicate our nation's struggle with racism, but their work did blaze a path, and it does give activists today a reason to be hopeful for the future. All of those people on the front lines of movements like the Black Lives Matter or I Can't Breathe are activating the muscle memory of the civil rights movement and taking it to new heights, new territory. If we are wise, we will not shy away from standing alongside them. C.T. Vivian once said, Leadership is found in the action to defeat that which would defeat you. You are made by the struggles you choose. What struggles have you chosen, or which ones seem to have chosen you? How will you respond as you come face to face with them? I trust God to, uh, as you open up your heart to God this morning and lean into the grace made available to you in the Holy Spirit, that God will lift up your face and give you hope. Let's pray. O oh God, our help in ages past, our hope in years to come, we pray that this morning we would be able to find shelter in you. Courage for what's ahead, O oh God, and that we would now and always lean into you as our eternal home. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.